The reading is from Exodus chapter 12, and if you'd like to follow it in the Green Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 66. It's across two pages, pages 66 and 67 in the Green Bibles. The reading split into two parts, both from Exodus chapter 12. First, I'll read verses 1 to 13, and then we'll jump to verses 29 to 36. Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat, roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt." I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now reading from verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, 
So they plundered the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, Trevor, thank you very much from Bible reader to crash officer in three simple steps. Um, I'd love you to have that open, page 66, and over to 67, I'm going to refer to it as we uh, think to mo- this morning of the God who rescues his people. But uh, let's just have a moment of quiet as we digest the import of God's word to us. And we ask for his spirit to help us understand, interpret, and apply his word to our lives. Heavenly Father, we read of this extraordinary event thousands of years ago in the life of Moses and Aaron and the people. And we ask that your spirit would catapult it through the ages and make this story real to us today. Equip us, anoint us, guide and empower us to live as your kingdom people today. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. I'm conscious as I look out, there are um, guests and visitors with us at half term, perhaps you're visiting family or friends, lovely to see you. We are uh, in the middle of a little series we're doing for the whole of this term, if you like, up till Christmas, on the book of Exodus. We started off by understanding that in a sense the whole book is like a shadow that is cast by the reality of Jesus Christ. It's as if you stand Jesus on a timeline and shine a light on Jesus and the shadow that he casts, who he is, his ministry, what he came to do, his significance, uh, a significant amount of that shadow falls in the book of Exodus. So the, the premise is that if we study the shadow, we will be all the more familiar with the reality. And we looked at how, uh, as Ang Harrod spoke to us, and you can download this on the website, wonderful talk, uh, God in his compassion commissions a leader, Moses, to live and work amongst the people and lead them. We saw last week that God is faithful to his covenant promises. And this week, in accordance with that covenant promise, we're going to look at a God who rescues his people. Do do you have these pink inserts here? Uh, And there, just if you uh, lose your way, hopefully this is a little route map for me, the the, the three headings, uh, salvation, substitute, and sustenance. On the back, headed salvation, um, there are some applications that we can make. They may be useful in the house groups uh, or just for your own personal study. Trevor read for us this, uh, this event that became a celebration in the life of Israel. We, we, uh, we love celebrations, don't we? Uh, all of us, once a year, will make at least one celebration, I hope, if not more, you know, a birthday. It may be uh, some other significant anniversary. It might be a, a wedding anniversary. And what we'll do is we'll look forward to it, set aside time to celebrate in a, an appropriate way, And we'll use that day, let's say a birthday, giving of presents, cakes, friends, parties, so on, to look back on the the event that caused that annual celebration. Give thanks for the life of whoever it is whose birthday we're celebrating. And look over the years 
up to the current day. And maybe look ahead as well to what the future might hold. That's exactly what this Passover celebration became for the people of Israel. It was so significant. You see in verse 1 and 2, in fact, at verse 2 of chapter 12, it, it, it changed the priority of their dating system. This month, God says, as he gives them instruction for the Passover, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. This is where your life starts. It is that significant. The people of Israel came to understand that their life as a nation under God began at the Passover as ordained by God. This month is to be for you the first month. So what is so significant of the Passover and what is it that they are celebrating? And I want to follow the headings here. They're celebrating three things I want to suggest. They're celebrating the fact that God, Yahweh, as he's revealed himself to the people by his name, Yahweh provides their salvation. He provides their rescue. Secondly, they're celebrating the fact that he does that specifically by providing a substitute for the sacrifice. I'll come on to that in a minute. And finally, that he provides their sustenance as they continue from slavery into freedom. Their salvation, their substitute, their sustenance. First of all, and it may help just to flick back to um, chapter 6, just a page or so back. We were looking at this last week. Chapter 6 and verse 6, where God was remembering his covenant promise. He's the promise-keeping God. And this is what he said to Moses. Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God promises, I will free you from slavery. I will redeem you from judgment. And those two promises come to pass. God fulfills them. God remembers them. And they come to pass at what we now know as Passover. Freeing them from the yoke of slavery, redeeming them from God's judgment so that they are free both physically and spiritually. Important thing to note from this first uh, heading, God providing salvation, it's all down to him. It's all his work. Salvation is primarily the work of God. He initiates it and it comes from him. He tells Moses and Aaron what's going to happen. And he tells Moses and Aaron to tell the people what to do. Israel are not saved on account of their race, that they're different from the Egyptians. They're not saved on account of their rank or ability. It's nothing about the people of Israel that merits salvation. This is all the initiation and the work of God. Now, we haven't had time to, to study the plagues that precede, uh, the nine plagues that precede this tenth plague that God promises, this terrible, this awful plague of the death of the firstborn. But if we had, we would have seen this, that Mo Moses and Aaron, in different ways, had sort of mediating roles in those plagues. Uh, Moses raised his staff and the water turned to blood in the Nile. That was one of the plagues. Or um, Moses and Aaron burnt some ashes, and that went into the sky, and the sky went black. 
So if you like, Moses and Aaron are working with the Lord in the previous nine plagues. But this tenth one, they play no part. Salvation out of judgment is entirely the Lord's initiation and entirely the Lord's work. So salvation, rescue, we might say, physically and spiritually, rescue at the hands of God is appropriated by those who hear Yahweh's voice and through faithful obedience carry out his command. Just look across, we didn't have this read, but um, verse 28 of chapter 12, page 67. Do you see there? The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And it's on the basis of their obedience to what God had commanded that they were saved. Nothing intrinsically of their own merit did they contribute towards the rescue. And so it is with us today. It's not because we happen to have been born in what used to be called a Christian country. It's not because we have a particular skin color or a particular background or a particular education that we might call ourselves Christians over and against others in the world. It's got nothing to do with us, first and foremost. Of course, our response is important. But salvation, life in God, Christian life, comes at God's initiation. And we respond and do everything that he calls us to do in faithful obedience. So salvation, the first thing that Yahweh provides. Secondly though, Yahweh provides their substitute. Yahweh, the Lord, provides their substitute. Again, just this is from the, the second half of chapter 6, verse 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. You see, the whole land is under God's judgment. But God is faithful to his promises. And he will provide what he has promised to Israel, a way out of judgment. And that way is through the sacrifice of a lamb. That's why there's, uh, it may have struck you as we read this, it struck you slightly odd, all these details from um, uh, verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. And you're determined the, the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. And the, the lambs are to be perfect and a year old. Lots of stipulation about the lamb. It's obviously a really important consideration. And that's on the 10th day. They've got four days to um, kind of negotiate and, and to, to work out have we got exactly the right amount of lamb, as it were, for every single person's needs? Is everyone covered by the provision of the lamb? Because it's on the 14th day that the lamb will be slaughtered and sacrificed. God provides this substitute, a perfect lamb in the prime of life. And again, for those of us who've been following this series, thinking shadow and reality, can you see where the reality now provides this shadow? A perfect lamb, without blemish or fault, sinless, we might say, and in the prime of life. A lamb who, as we've seen in verse 4, is completely sufficient for the entire nation. Every individual within every family within the whole nation. 
everyone is covered by the provision of a lamb. And finally, and perhaps in a sense rather gruesomely, but look at verse 10. This substitutionary lamb, this sacrificial lamb, must be completely destroyed. Verse 10, do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. The lamb is to be completely destroyed. Why? Why is God ordaining this? Just imagine the scene back then. Thousands of years ago, there's a little household, a mother, a father, some children, the eldest son. as a sweet lad. He's 10 years old. He's called Yosef. And uh, on the 10th day, can you imagine the excitement in that household as they get a little lamb? It's the sweetest thing. And then it comes to the household. Oh, they love it. I mean, wouldn't all children, they take turns in feeding it, nurturing it. They kind of make a little bed for it. It has its own little place in the, just in a little corner in the house. The lamb trots around and bleats every now and then. It's just the sweetest thing. They love it. They take in turns, they'll give a little walk. And... But a few days later, after they've had this lamb, there's that kind of strange tension in the house. You know how kids are just unique at picking up when something isn't quite right. There's something going on. <laughs> For some reason, they've got to pack a few things and they're going to bed early, before sunset. And as the children just creep to their sleeping quarters, they look over the shoulder and Dad's got this knife. And Joseph, he's old enough to begin to put two and two together. Dad, Dad, he says, what are you doing? Nothing, son, go, go to sleep. No, Dad, what are, you, what are you going to do? And he's bright enough. He's kind of working it out. Dad, you're... You're not going to kill the lamb. Don't kill the lamb. Daddy, daddy, no. And the father, because he's obedient to what the Lord has instructed through Moses, he takes his son, Yosef, sits him down, cuddles him, and explains. You see, there's judgment over the whole land, Egyptian and Israel. And if he doesn't kill the lamb, then Yosef, will be the one to die. That is what God has ordained through this tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. And eventually, as Joseph drifts off to sleep, the key question for him becomes, did daddy kill the lamb and smear the blood on the door frames of our house? That's the only way that Joseph knows he'll be safe. That's the only way that the Israelites will know that they will come out from under judgment. They will come out through redemption to effect a full and complete rescue. The lamb had to be slain. We're, I, I'm, I'm now working again. I can feel like I'm working against your sentiments. A sweet lamb. And we don't, like the, we don't like dying and death and killing. But in the spiritual realm, we need to wake up to the realities as Israel did then. That God's anger and God's judgment needs to be appeased. And we need to recognize the graciousness of God and the gift of God. That to these people, Israel, he's provided a way out from the judgment. He's provided a rescue. Death will visit every single member, uh, sorry, every single household in the whole land of Egypt. It'll either be a firstborn son or a lamb. 
And Israel needed to wake up to the seriousness of that situation and to put themselves under the protection of the lamb. Some commentators like to picture uh, the the head of the household taking a sponge or whatever and uh, dipping it in the blood of the sacrificed lamb and imagining putting it on the, the door frames and the lintel, the, the bit across the top of the door. And do you see how, as I mark this blood, I'm making the sign of the cross. Shadow, reality. You see, for each and every one of us, we need, in the world in which we live, the world, in a sense, is, as Paul calls it, in bondage to decay. It's freewheeling away from the ordinances and the love and the covenants of God. Freewheeling. We see it on the news, around the community. You see it in so many different ways, evidence of a world in sort of freefall. Paul calls it in bondage to decay. And as such, it stands in judgment. Judgment is coming. How do we make ourselves safe as Christians? Not because we're a bit better than them and we haven't been as bad as them. It's nothing to do with us. The key question we ask ourselves is, have I stood under the protecting blood of the substitutionary lamb of God? The blood will be a sign. Verse 13 of chapter 12. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's, um, and by the way, I, I hate this as a, I hate doing this as a, as a preacher because I, what I'm going to say is that it's, a, it's, a, it's an inferior translation. And you sit there and think, well, how am I meant to know that? And I, it's, I hate it. I hate partly because it makes me look like, you know, aren't I the smart ass? Uh, I've got all the commentaries. Uh, so I don't like that. And I don't like the fact that it's not apparent to just a common reading. But it, unfortunately, from time to time, it takes place. I think that's why it's important that you pray for me and for those who preach. Because it's our responsibility to ensure that we have as full an understanding of the text as possible. And sometimes the English, 21st century English translation doesn't do justice to, for example, verse 13. The word for, the blood will be a sign for you. It's actually a much better translation would be instead of. It's sort of on behalf of. And if I'm honest, I think that significantly changes the meaning to what it is intended. The blood will be a sign instead of you on the houses where you are. The sacrifice of the lamb is a substitute for us where we, the Israelites, I should say, under Moses, where they were under the sentence of death, the lamb is a substitute for them. And the blood of the lamb on the doorpost will be a sign instead of them. So that you notice this. When the Lord's speaking in verse 13, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. When I see the blood. Again, interestingly, in the other plagues, um, God is able to differentiate out the Israelites from the Egyptians. When there's a, a plague on all the cattle, all the Israelite cattle are spared but the Egyptians are not. And Pharaoh sends out spies to check, is that so? Have all the Egyptian cattle died and all the um, Israelite ones being saved? Yes, that's so. And God is able to see the difference between an Egyptian and an Israelite. But here, he's not looking at the people. 
You see, in order to pass over his judgment, he's looking specifically for the shed blood of the Lamb. Back to our father in this little analogy, just supposing, you know, he's been obedient. He's got the lamb and he's slaughtered it and they've had the meal and they've got themselves ready and uh, they're all packed up uh, uh, for the Passover. But just supposing it's nice and warm and snug in that evening and it's cold and rainy outside and the father says to himself, do I really have to go out and smear the blood on the door frames? I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, sure I'm, I'm sure I'll be okay. We'll be okay. It'll be all right. I've done sort of everything else. It is vital for that household and for the whole nation to actually spread the blood on the door frames because it's that which God will see. Verse 13. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It's absolutely vital that the nation of Israel daub the door frames with the blood and actually live under the protection of the sacrificed blood of the Lamb. And so it is with us. It isn't sufficient that I know someone who's a Christian. It isn't sufficient that my parents were Christians or I was brought up to go to Sunday school or I come to a church service on a regular basis. It isn't sufficient unless we have ourselves personally appropriated ourselves of the shed blood of the Lamb of God. And as we do, to thank God for his generosity in providing a substitute for us. God provides salvation. God provides a substitute. Finally, briefly, God provides sustenance for the ongoing journey. Just look at verse 8. That same night you are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And how do they eat it? Well, verse 11. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This great event in Jewish history marked not simply the end of slavery, but the beginning of a journey of lifelong obedience. And God, right at the outset, sustains them for that journey. If you like, they eat their breakfast the night before so that as soon as the Lord says, go, they can go. As soon as the opportunity in the moment comes, they can go and move in obedience through faith. And again, so it is for us today. As we sing, and we did today, uh, a number of our songs, we sing about the cross of Christ. It's not just that we can be released from the slavery of sin. It is in order that we might live as fully-fledged sons of God, sons and daughters. It's so that we may have the sustenance, the indwelling life of the Spirit, empowering us to live day by day in obedience to what he's calling us to do. Every time we have communion, I, uh, particularly at the 8 o'clock service, I put the wafer and the wine and uh, invite communicants to feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. It sums up our response to what we understand God was doing through the Passover. You say to me, well, Tim, that's uh, several thousand years ago, the people of Israel, sort of old-fashioned Bible times. How on earth is that relevant for us today? Well, just a cursory glance of the New Testament. And again, these notes on the back, I haven't got time to go through them, but they, they may be helpful uh, during the week if you want to look at 
the different ways, these things on the back here, ways in which the New Testament came to understand God rescues us through the initiation of the Father, mediated through the Lamb of God, Jesus, uh, and by his Holy Spirit. So that when John, for example, John the Baptist, sees Jesus at the start of his ministry, what does he say? Behold, a rabbi. No, behold, a good teacher. No, behold, Joseph's son, the carpenter. No, John sees it immediately. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who acts as a substitute so that we come out from judgment and death and into brand new life through forgiveness. Or Paul, talking to the Corinthians, talks of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, appropriating the feast that the Israelites celebrated year after year, the escape out of Egypt. And he recognizes that that is what Jesus has supremely come, not just for a nation, but for the whole world. Christ is our Passover lamb. Well, this verse in uh, Peter, he says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, the New Testament came to understand that Jesus was the reality. He's the real Passover. And as we give our lives to him, invite him, into our lives by his spirit, we give more of our lives to him, our will, our plans, our thoughts, our dreams, our every waking moment. He becomes the sacrificial, substitutional lamb. He becomes the real Passover so that we can move from slavery to sin, captivity and bondage into freedom and real life. I'd love you to stand for a moment. Conscious that there may be things, just as we stand for a few minutes, that are on our hearts and minds, things that weigh us down. There may be concerns or worries, fears that uh, from time to time can grip us, can enslave us. I'd love to allow just a few moments for the Spirit of God to apply this great episode in the life of God's people to our hearts and lives now. For you to receive the freedom and the rescue and the ongoing act of salvation that Jesus brings. It may be that there are some of us here who've never fully appreciated just what God has done in providing salvation, providing a way out from judgment. Even that he's provided sustenance for our daily lives.
Father, we thank you so much that Jesus stands as the reality to this shadow that we look at, our true Passover lamb. Thank you that in his death and resurrection, in the outpouring of his spirit, we can know freedom, we can know release, and we can know your power, strengthening, guiding, and anointing us. I'll encourage you just to receive all that God wants to give you now through Christ and by his spirit to receive that in your hearts as you face the coming week and the coming months as you look to continue on the journey wherever you are on that journey on that journey of obedience and faith to all that God has called you to do just a few minutes we're going to sing our final hymn and uh, break for some coffee and refreshments and so on but I'd love to encourage anyone who would like just to receive, someone to draw alongside you and receive a bit more prayer uh, then please do let's keep this sort of front bit of the church for um, prayer and ministry and uh, the back for coffee and chat um, after we sung our final song together
Please be seated for our final prayer of blessing. Father God, author of salvation. We pray that the peace of God that goes beyond our understanding may keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen. Go in peace.